Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of European Talks, a podcast run by the European Policy Center, a Belgrade-based independent think tank. My name is Dusan Pievovic and I will be your host today. In this episode, we will discuss Romania's presidency of the Council of the European Union, the upcoming elections for the European Parliament, this abuse summit, and gender and diplomacy. To discuss these topics, I'm joined by Her Excellency Ioana Cristina Popa, the Ambassador of Romania to Serbia. Ms. Popa, welcome to our podcast. So let's begin by talking about Romania's presidency of the Council of the European Union. I mean, cohesion is the centerpiece of Romania's presidency. Why is it necessary to highlight cohesion today in the EU? And how successful would you say Romania was in this attempt, uh, given that there are only about 40 days left in the presidency? So, Absolutely. Um, well, one of the reasons we, we chose cohesion, and, and cohesion, cohesion is also our motto of the uh, EU presidency, cohesion, a common European value, uh, was first and foremost because uh, cohesion was something that we benefited mostly from um, since we, we joined. Um, and cohesion was something that helped us, for example, uh, level um, developmental discrepancies inside our country, um, to, to work a little bit on uh, bridging the developmental gaps inside the country, to um, distribute more equally, geographically speaking and regionally speaking inside our country of the uh, EU funds. So um, economically speaking, cohesion has helped us directly a lot. And we wanted to highlight cohesion uh, as a tool, as an instrument that has helped new members to uh, better integrate inside uh, the union after we became members. But cohesion is also a symbolic uh, notion. And uh, we, through our presidency, we also want to try, um, I hope we have succeeded since we only have 40 days left, to bring the EU closer to the people. Uh, to talk about the EU in a way that people can understand, uh, not not just in 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 our country, but but throughout throughout Europe, because um, there is a, a sense that that the the very notion of Europe is sort of diluting itself in in uh, a lot of technicalities, and uh, because the the union is so large now uh, with. Um, with all the uh, the new members that have joined uh, in the past uh, 15 years, um, we sort of wanted to go back to the core of what the EU is and how it it brings people together. So we have, uh, for example, uh, opened to a public competition both the logo of the EU and the um, the motto, so that people would put their input and say what they would like to hear. Uh, from Romania's EU presidency, and cohesion came up in, in a great majority. Uh, and that is how uh, we started building upon that. And also the logo uh, was designed through a, a public competition, and it was actually won by a 16-year-old uh, high school student. So this is the logo uh, uh, that was designed by, by, uh, by a high school student. Um, so, so here, we're, we're basically trying to combine the direct benefits of cohesion with a symbolic um, notion of cohesion and to, together to, 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 bring, to bring the EU closer to people. So uh, here we are. We'll drift off on that a little bit. So, mm -hmm. I mean, one of the critiques that I've seen from uh, uh, North American intellectuals about the EU was precisely that. It was that it became a bit too bureaucratic mm -hmm. and that, like, the EU level Brussels mm -hmm. was way too far from the people. Uh, I agree. 
uh, that is one of the concerns that we have, that the EU is drifting away from the people, so hence the idea to focus on, on cohesion. But we also have to take into account that the EU has gone through incredible changes in a very short time. If we look at, historically speaking, from the moment the EU uh, came into being, uh, it um, accepted new members in a very, very slow pace. And then all of a sudden, from 15 members, it expanded to 25 and 27 in an extremely short span of time. So uh, it is normal that going through these changes, it needed time to digest those new members. It needed time to adapt. Uh, like I have um, said, and I'm repeating, the EU is not a static entity. And, and uh, it's good that it is not. It is, it is a dynamic entity that is moving, and it is evolving, and it is adapting uh, to its own transformations. And that may take time. And that is also one of the reasons that enlargement is a little bit slowed down. Uh, but that is not a bad thing. In, in perspective, that is good for the new future members, because future members would want to join a union that is stable and clear in its uh, objectives. So uh, while there may have been a drift between base and uh, top, let's say, uh, that uh, gap is uh, starting to bridge now. And if you look at the uh, campaign uh, that is uh, preceding the EU Parliament elections and that the messages that, um, that capitals are sending are, this is for the people, you know, go out and vote because this is your union. You have to be part of the decision-making process. So right now we see a sort of a um, uh, return to the basic values where people should be more involved and Europe should be felt closer to, to them and they should, should feel part of the decision-making process. So I think that although this is uh, complicated with uh, 500 million people, it's good that this message is being sent out on the occasion of these um, upcoming uh, EU Parliament elections. They're coming up, they're drawing a lot of attention. Um, what are your expectations? Uh, what are some possible outcomes, um, and how do you see this playing out? Yeah, actually, I'm surprised that uh, the EU Parliament elections are getting so much attention here in Serbia because, uh, from a, from a candidate country, it uh, it is a bit unusual. But I think it's also good that people are interested in the internal process of the EU, so they understand better what they are about to to join in the in the future. Now. Uh, we are very proud of the EU Parliament elections because this is a huge democratic process and um, as someone uh, put it, uh, it's the second largest democratic exercise in the world after India. Um, and uh, Because India is uh, the greatest democracy in the world, but um, the EU comes second with, with this uh, population that we have. and. Uh, it, it is a, it's a very important milestone, uh, the EU Parliament elections, um, and we have contributed to, to, to creating an environment for, for free, fair, and transparent elections. Um, there are very clear rules of how this is going to unfold. Uh, this is something that takes place uh, regularly uh, every five years, so it's, it's an exercise that Europe has done uh, throughout uh, time, but again, um, going from uh, 15 members to 28 is, uh, uh, in, in a decade is, is a challenge. Um, so I cannot speculate on the result, but um, what 
I think is important for us, not just for us as, as, as presidency, but, but for all the EU member states, is that people go out to vote. Because uh, it's like in a national election, you, you, you don't go vote and then you complain. It, that's not a combination that, uh, that holds. Uh, you want to be part of the European decision-making process. You want to see the uh, gap between base and top uh, bridging. Um, then you need to go out and vote. Uh, so I think this is the the main aspect uh, of of the of the campaign right now to to have people to go out and vote. Other than that, of course, we can um, foresee a. Um, a result that, that would, uh, of course, include uh, uh, the, the main uh, political groups. There will probably be a small uh, opposition of uh, EU skepticism, or I, I won't say anti-EU, because there aren't really anti-EU parties inside the European Parliament, but, but like Eurosceptical parties. Um, and uh, I suppose that uh, the, the, the newcomers that uh, haven't uh, participated in the, in the elections before, like uh, uh, Macron's party or, uh, you know, the, the Yellow Vests uh, movement and so on, will, of course, offer a new, uh, a new balance to, 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 this, uh, to this whole design. Um, so it will be interesting, but it is also good that it will be a very wide coverage of a number of social um, strata in, in Europe. So uh, hopefully people will feel more represented than just the two main uh, socialists and conservatives which have dominated the European uh, political uh, scene um, since forever. <laughs> so, um, so this is basically what we're hoping to achieve, and then, um, then of course we will see. But right now, in this moment, is it, it is important that people go out and vote. Uh, there, there will be elections in all the member states. Uh, all the embassies will organize. Uh, we are also organizing. Uh, uh, the elections here in, in Belgrade at the embassy. So uh, I hope that uh, the message will go out clear and, and people will come vote and then uh, we will see. We will know soon in, <laughs> in a couple of weeks. Okay. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's come back to, to cohesion a little bit. I mean, indirectly, uh, the Sibiu summit just wrapped up. And do you think it managed to foster a, a joint European spirit? Uh, and uh, can we consider this summit as a starting point of EU redefinition? Or we we all think that the the CBO summit was a a very successful moment. Um, it, it had a great visibility. It was extremely well received by all the member states. Um, coming at a time of uh, what we like to call, I don't personally like to call, uh, challenges in the EU. I mean, of course, there are challenges in the EU, but there have been challenges in the EU and there will be challenges in the EU. And we, you know, handle those challenges. It's, it's maybe a bit more unusual with Brexit and uh, uh, what's going on. But other than that, um, it's, it's just a democratic process that Europe is going through. So, but I think because of this uh, more challenging environment, uh, the Sibiu Declaration, uh, that followed the summit came at a very, very good time because it did show 
cohesion, first of all, but it also showed that people are willing to sit down and talk and solve their differences. I mean, there are uh, differences of opinions, but I mean, that is what Europe is about, to try to reach a common uh, commonality uh, while accommodating all our uh, our views. And it is uh, far more difficult to do that with 28 members than with 15, again, uh, in, in um, uh, a decade and a half. Uh, so, um, so yes, the fact that um, uh, aspects such as uh, European defense uh, from east to west and north to south were stressed shows that, yes, we are looking at an enlarged Europe that we want to keep safe with uh, secure external borders and um, uh, to, to offer a uh, secure perspective for the generations that will come. So this is not about us now, it's about Europe in the future and how this will look for, for our children. Um, it is important to stay united. This was uh, overstressed through thick and thin. Yes, there will be problems. Um, there are problems, but the idea is how you solve them, not how uh, you ignore them or, uh, or uh, how you make them bigger. This is about problem solving together uh, and to look for joint solutions and to listen to each other in the spirit of understanding and respect. Um, Europe is also about unity and diversity. Nobody, nobody says that there has to be 100% consensus all the time. There can't be. But reaching consensus is a process. Uh, problem solving is part of that. So we are, we are looking at, uh, at a... Um, problem-solving process that uh, we can all participate in, and to protect our way of life, democracy, and the rule of law. Uh, and that is something that is also translated in the acquis that uh, candidate countries are working on. Um, we need to um, protect our citizens because Europe is about them at the end of the day and to offer citizens and to deliver to citizens what they expect. So uh, this idea that we need to work more together rather than separately uh, has been uh, sort of stressed out in all the points of the 10 points of the, of the declaration. So um, this is a document that will appear from now on in, uh, in, EU, um, in EU affairs. And uh, of course, we are very happy and proud that we uh, we held the presidency and that uh, this uh, happened in, in Sibiu. And Sibiu has a particular symbolism um, on top of, of everything because uh, Sibiu was the first European cultural capital um, after uh, we joined, actually on, on January 1st, 2007. Once we joined, Sibiu also became uh, first uh, European cultural capital. And Sibiu um, is a, a town in Transylvania, um, and, and you probably know Transylvania is a multi-ethnic, very diverse um, uh, region of Romania, uh, very much like Vojvodina here. And uh, Sibiu, by excellence, is a multicultural um, uh, town with a uh, variety of uh, national minorities, German uh, in particular, but also Hungarian. So um, it's also symbolic from, from this uh, point of view. And last but not least, 2019, 30 years since the uh, regime change in Eastern Europe, uh, particularly in Romania. We hold the presidency 30 years later. 30 years may seem a long time in individual life, but in the life of a nation, it's not that long. And uh, we have accomplished uh, great things in these 30 years. So um, there is uh, a lot of uh, positive um, um, energy and a lot of there are a lot of positive aspects that the 
EU can look forward to and there is reason for, for uh, hope and optimism on behalf of the candidate countries as well. Very optimistic about the future. It's it's very interesting, and um, yeah, I, I did not know about that about mm -hmm. CBU, and, mm -hmm. and that's very symbolic. Very interesting, cool. Um, so let's switch gears a little bit um, and then talk about gender. Um, okay. Um, so I mean, both Romania and Serbia have female uh, prime ministers. Um, you've been a successful diplomat for many years now. Um, so what is your personal experience, and and uh, uh, what is still necessary? To, to improve the work of your female colleagues, mm -hmm. because diplomacy can be a hard field for a, a, a woman uh, yeah. due to travel, due to many other commitments. Mm -hmm. um, it still is a hard, uh, hard field. But uh, look, just the fact that we're talking about gender um, is already um, a huge uh, progress. And like I said um, in March, when we organized with uh, Finland and Croatia, the trio of uh, EU presidencies, we organized a seminar on cohesion in gender. And uh, um, we, one of the things that I said was uh, the fact that we are here talking about this. And um, it was interesting because the, my colleagues are male diplomats. So I was, I was the only woman in, in this small group. I said um, the fact that they are supporting um, uh, gender, the fact that uh, Finland is a uh, leader in uh, the He for She campaign, an initiator, uh, with a lot of um, uh, male diplomats um, pledging to, to, uh, to support gender, is a, a huge accomplishment. So yes, of course, there are a lot of steps to be taken. There is a lot of space for improvement. But just the fact that we are here today, I said then in, on the 7th of March, um, both male and female diplomats and officials talking about this is, is fantastic. So things have definitely improved. Uh, they have improved since uh, 10 years ago. Um, gender is an ongoing issue. It's not something that I see uh, finishing in a certain amount of time. So from now on, gender is not an issue anymore. I don't think that is ever going to be like that. Um, but um, I think that it is important to reach this balance of understanding that, first of all, it's not a competition between men and women. Right. Um, second of all, um, um, the, uh, how should I put it? Um, the most important factor when we talk about um, um, when we talk about um, careers, for example, should be professionalism, not gender. It, I mean, the, the idea is not to have more women because we need to reach a balance, right. but the idea is to encourage women and to um, ensure the conditions for women to have equal opportunities with men right. so that uh, that balance can be reached. Because otherwise, um, the door of uh, incompetence can be opened, and we don't want that, because you don't want more women and then people to say, oh, but they are only there because they're women. Right. I mean, I certainly don't want that. So the idea, and the keyword here is equal opportunities. And once there are equal opportunities, then both women and men can go ahead and reach their potential, or, or not, uh, equally. <laughs> that's, that's the point. So me personally, that's what I'm um, promoting, equal opportunities, I, I find are the, the base 
for gender equality. And that is what we need to work towards right. in reaching this uh, equality. That's we have a lot of uh, female, uh, uh, a lot of women in, in uh, decision-making positions, both Serbia and Romania. Uh, we have uh, a lot of women in business, extremely successful. Uh, so uh, I think that we can bring some good examples to the table. Right. So do you think, I mean, because th there's a distinction there between uh, uh, um, equality of opportunity and equality of outcome. And I think, at least in the Western world in the last few years, uh, the idea of equality of outcome has been represented more than equality of opportunity. Yeah, but I mean, my this, this is my personal opinion, and right. I've had some uh, clashes with uh, oh, some uh, feminists throughout time. Um, because, I mean, I understand why um, you need, for example, to introduce quotas. I understand the necessity mm. of that. But I'm arguing that quotas alone are not going to create a competent environment. So the idea is that I don't think you can reach equal outcome without equal opportunities. Because quotas, for example, are not equal opportunities. Right. Precisely. So you may get lucky and, and reach a good outcome, but you may not get lucky. And then what? Then the, the very image that we shed upon ourselves is, oh, we're only there because, you know, we have to, to reach equality. Uh, and I know historically speaking, this has happened with minorities and it has happened with a number with uh, uh, um, solving racial issues and so on. But uh, I don't think that in the 21st century today, um, you can just go on one lane. You have to, to look at several options on how to ensure equal opportunities in order to reach equal outcome. Right. And that is why I insist so much. I'm a big fan of equal opportunities. Yeah. Um, so uh, that is one thing that I'm advocating and I'm always uh, talking about. Yeah, I, I found that interesting because uh, my philosophy has been very similar to that. I'm actually quite open in my opposition to, to equality of, of uh, outcome because I don't yeah. think it solves the problem. I think yeah, no, it definitely doesn't. But you have to, you had to start somewhere. Right. So if we look, you know, 60 years ago, there were countries in Europe where women couldn't vote. Right. That is a very, how should I put it? It's very recently and it is disturbing. And we're talking about countries like France, not, uh, you know, uh, right. in some ways, the uh, former socialist countries were <laughs> much more uh, equal in terms of gender than, than many Western countries uh, back in the 50s and the 60s. So we are talking in a, uh, again, very short amount of time where things have changed dramatically. But if we look back, it wasn't that long ago that things were not good at all. And hadn't it been for, for some women who, and men, because I give credit to both, who pushed uh, for things to, to change and part of that was equal outcome and quotas and so on, then we wouldn't be having this conversation today. What I'm saying is today, today, with this outcome that we have based on their work and oftentimes sacrifice, we need to look a step forward and move from this traditional um, approach that, oh, we need quotas to reach equality and that's that, end of the story, to something that actually can function and be adapted to our realities. Right. 
because you may have quotas, but then if you look at the um, of the women that reach uh, high level decision making positions from that quota, it's tiny. Interesting. Yeah. So um, the, the the idea is to 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 ensure an environment that creates equal opportunities. So from from this point of view, I think that the Nordic countries are the best examples. Canada. Uh, as well. Uh, so there are examples that we can take. But then we have cultural factors and mm. religious factors and, and social factors in each country that you also need to work with and around. So you cannot just uh, dismiss uh, cultural influences and, and, and uh, historical, uh, sometimes uh, even biases. You have to work to uh, overcome those. You cannot just say, okay, from tomorrow we're changing because right. the, 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 the historical and cultural baggage is something that we have all sort of implanted in our collective unconscious. So it comes out at the most inappropriate moments and gender is one of them. So I think that raising awareness, this is paramount. Talk about issues as much as possible. Um, promote uh, promote a, uh, a true uh, equal opportunity environment and also bring uh, out as much as possible the, the positive um, uh, examples and success stories. Hmm. You have success stories. You need to advertise those. You need to show that it is possible and to, to bring these people out. Empowerment, again, empowerment of women. So come and talk about how you did it. Right. It's important. It inspires people. And they need to hear from those who actually succeeded, not from those who, who do the policy, right. who, who make the policy. So um, it is a complicated and very complex issue. You cannot just say, oh, we're solving this with, uh, with outcome. No, it doesn't. Right. In my view, it doesn't work like that at all. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think I'll remember this converse, conversation <laughs> uh, 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 by incredible dose of optimism that you have. And... Uh, um, your view of the world seems to be mm -hmm. like that the world is in flux all the time it and is. that you renegotiate yeah. things yeah, yeah. constantly, yeah. which I, I think is a but very You know, I mean, me as a diplomat uh, and as a, as a person, I have gone uh, and I have lived through some pretty incredible times. So I witnessed the end of the Cold War and the fall of the Iron Curtain, then uh, Romania shifting from totalitarian regime to uh, EU and NATO member. Um, becoming a very respected uh, country in Europe, and we have had some incredible success in uh, economic growth and uh, um, uh, aspects that were unimaginable 30 years ago. And, uh, you know, I have benefited directly from EU integration. I have uh, traveled around Europe. I have uh, benefited from exchange programs and grants as a student. So for me, you know, this is... Um, something that I've lived. It's not right. just I'm not talking about Europe in theory. Right. So, uh, yeah, and it works, and it works, and it's we are far better with it than without it, and the country is far better in than out. So, you know, this is what I, I tell to, to my Serbian friends, whom I um, respect a lot, and I think that this country has a lot of potential, and uh, it has been through some unfortunate moments in history, but that's absolutely no reason not to... To move forward and, and, and go for it because you basically have it all, you just need to put it together. <laughs> Thank you for this conversation. This Thank was, you. This was excellent. Thank you.